All right. Um, on the two back tables, I put just the handouts. They're basically from last week, so if you have it from last week, I uh, noticed there was a few uh, typographical errors from last week I fixed, and I added a couple quotes at the very end. So it's actually longer than last week. Go figure. Um, because um, I had an opportunity just to put in some quotes I was just going to talk about. I wanted to show you that I wasn't making it up. Okay, but uh, just to review from last week, so our uh, biblical text is from Luke chapter 1. We read it in the chapel, and that's uh, the, commonly known as the Annunciation, when Angel Gabriel visits Mary. And the things that are highlighted from that passage is that first, it's, this passage is interpersonal. There are two people involved. It's very important for us because in this passage, Mary is not disregarded and Mary isn't inconsequential, uh, but she is very important to the story and is a, a person, which that might sound, again, very obvious, but it's very important for you. With that said, then, uh, the grace that's bestowed upon her uh, doesn't cancel out her, her nature, which means that she's becoming fully human, fully uh, and I raise the question, you know, is it perfect? Yes, uh, I would say she's fully woman, so she's perfected in that way. Um, but that, that's, that doesn't mean that she's not a, a sinful person. It's just that God has cleansed her and taken up residence inside her. So he's, uh, he's recreated or redeemed the original relationship between man and God. Adam and Eve... Perfect, you know, were, they were creatures. They weren't like God. And I, and I don't know if I mentioned that last week. And I, don't, I can't remember if we're going to get to this at all, so I'm going to say it now. What is the temptation of Satan to Adam and Eve? Eat the fruit, and what will happen to them? They'll be like God. That's precisely what they're not. They're creatures. So the idea of perfection, and we say to be like God, we are echoing what? Satan's temptation. So it's, it's a little bit ironic that we consider something to be perfect, in fact, is perfectly diabolical, sinful. So when the word perfect is used in the, in the reading, it's, it's about this being fully human or fully creature, not being like God. That's, it's really important for us to, because uh, you know we're creating false antithesis, and we're we're articulating something that's actually not there, making it up basically. So um, what, what I want I want to say that though the reason why I say that is because, um, you know, if we see ourselves primarily as sinner, we're denying God's grace. It might sound like a pious confession of your unworthiness, but it's actually a denial of God's grace. And so, grace actually happens in this world. It actually exists, and it exists in people. God puts himself in people. This is really important for us. So, it's a reality. Okay, anywho, um, that's on the first page. I want to say something, too, about Julie's, Julie's comment, comment last week that I actually didn't finish. I got on a tangent, and I completely forgot something. Um, so uh, the thing is, is that sin doesn't make you subhuman, 
Um, sin, actually, uh, you lose the image of God because the image of God is this perfect relationship between man and uh, God. And I have here um, a really nice picture on the whiteboard here. Now, I've been using this for pastor chats to talk about prayer because when you enter into prayer, you enter into this relationship with God. But it's, uh, it's a good image just in general of how we see ourselves so we have Jesus over here. We have Mary, and or you. Remember, Mary is, is like uh, the image for every person in the world. So how this works is, think about the Annunciation. Uh, who sh- shows up out of nowhere? The angel Gabriel. Well, the angel Gabriel is a messenger of God. So Jesus, the word, so shows up out of nowhere, which is a... Uh, a characteristic of grace. Because if it shows up expected, then it's not grace. Because you're expecting something good. Which then is a, uh, a merit. I deserve this. So uh, grace is always a surprising. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a real nice book called Surprised by Joy. Um, and I think N.T. Wright wrote something too about surprised by something or another. The element of surprise is always inherent to grace. Okay, so so Jesus shows up, and what does Angel Gabriel do? Speaks God's word to Mary. So the word comes from Christ. Now this word is a redeeming word and a creating word, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth by speaking. And then, so this word is very important for us. Now I use these arrows as not only directional, but also as uh, of substance. It's a thing. The bar in the Hebrew for word is also can mean a thing. So there's a connection, a real or you know real connection, a touching between Jesus and Mary and you. Of course, so that goes in the ear. Now, someone will always ask, and the kids, I mean, right away, if Gretchen Shield was here, she would, she would know how much, I think I had to repeat why they don't have eyes, I don't know, eight times in literally three minutes. Now, why isn't there eyes? There's no eyes because Jesus is working with words, the word. So paramount, fundamental to your existence is ears, your ears. So the eyes are just inconsequential. No, they're secondary. That's that's this way. Okay. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. Where does faith come from? By hearing, Romans chapter 10. Is Katie Licked here? I mean, this is all like pastor chat stuff. So, if you want to take a break. <laughs> so, uh, Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. Christ gives the word through the preachers so people can hear so they can call upon the Lord. Okay, so... So it goes into Mary. Now the thing is, though, where does the word of God go in Mary? This would be from Luke chapter 2. Any other moms who have been at Pastor Chad's can know this. She ponders them in her heart. So the word of God comes and, and resides in her heart. This says word here. Christ's word. Um, and then, of course, though, that word doesn't stay inside her heart. Because if it stayed inside her heart, then this relationship would not be interpersonal. It's very important for us. There would be no relationship from Mary to Christ. And that, of course, is anti-Christ. I mean, it's 
God didn't make you just to have you way over there. Okay, so the word comes out, and it comes out in her confession, right? Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord, or I'm the servant of the Lord. So, and that word obviously goes back now to, to God. It's a confession. It's a, it's a calling out. And that goes into Jesus' ears. And, of course, the word then comes into Jesus' heart. So the heart of Jesus is the place of grace and love, mercy. And as David Licht says, two weeks in a row, by the way, the cycle starts all over again. And then it starts over again. So this, this relationship is very important for us. Because it's, this is what we this is this is original righteousness. This is the image of God now that um, we're created in. It's relational, okay. Now on the flip side, so this goes to what Julie asked about. Yeah, you know, you yeah. So we can defend the unborn because they're made in the image of God. That's and I didn't make that distinction between verses whether they have the the image of God. Um, because as sinners, we've lost the image of God because we've broken this relationship. We've erased this. So if, if this happens, and it's, it's really just this line. Sorry, shouldn't erase this one. Well, markers are put away. Imagine that's still there. Is now there's no, there's, no, there's no relationship. Christ is still speaking. We just aren't acknowledging it. So the line actually breaks actually inside of us. We're not listening. You know, ears to hear, but do not understand or hear. So, and it's, it, but there's this mystery by the power of the Holy Spirit. This, this changes. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that, that's a little, yeah, so yeah, we can defend. Yeah, that could be because everyone's made in the image of God that's true. But oftentimes, um, so, so for instance, if, uh, oftentimes what it's made is the image of God. The image of God is inherent in, in the person and not based on this. It's like a quality given to someone. I know this is very nerdy and dogmatic, but it's actually very important. Because um, as, as uh, Christians, especially as Lutheran Christians, uh, it's the relationship that's most important, and the and the power and the God's word working. All right. Well, anyways, that's a little distinction, but I thought, oh man, I should probably say that because I don't want everyone to go home and say, Pastor Nelson's, you know, his explanation about why we defend the unborn sounded weird. No, no, that's exactly right. That's what I just said. So, so what we, so what, if you. The, the danger of saying you defend somebody based on they're made in the image of God uh, is without understanding the image of God of this relationship, which is by the word of God. Okay, so when I talk about the word of God, who's, that also means the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit only works by the word of God. There's no working of the Holy Spirit without the word of God. Uh, so there's no immediate working of the Holy Spirit. It's always through means, which is the word of God. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. There are two conversations going on at the same time. That means this relationship has not been restored. 
Jesus says, unless one is begotten from above, by the fa- begotten from above, hence the Father, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The, the Greek words are the same for begotten and above. Nicodemus hears what? And it's in your Bibles. Born again. Um, Jesus is talking about the father's relationship. Nicodemus is hearing about a mother's relationship. And then it goes even further in John chapter 3. And it's translated in your Bibles. Uh, Thankfully, in the footnotes, it'll actually give credit to the word. So, Jesus says, You hear the wind and where it blows, but you do not know where it comes from. The word for wind is also the word for spirit. So Jesus is saying, you hear the spirit. Of course, how can he hear the spirit? Who is speaking? Jesus. So Jesus' word is the, is the means of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is confessing, you hear the spirit, but you do not know where it comes from. And Nicodemus is hearing, why are you talking about wind? Now, of course, if we know the Gospel of John, this word that's being spoken to Nicodemus isn't stopping, and by the end of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus has now entered back into this relationship because he is one of those who, with Joseph and Arimathea, are defenders of Jesus and also um, you know, uh, getting the body of Jesus. So, yeah, so yeah, Chris, so this is great. I want to make sure. So this is the thing, though, is that, like, for instance, Roman Catholic theology will say that uh, the image of God is just inherent to a person, which means then you don't actually necessarily need this. You just have it already. And any loss in this relationship can be done, because you're made in the image of God, can be done by you. Now, they'll say, with the support of grace. But as Lutherans, we're, we're very kind of adamant, right? Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. But that doesn't mean without, without you, or without Mary. So it's, it's a little bit interesting. So it's, uh, yeah. Holly. Uh, so baptizing a baby gives... gives. Yep. Yes. Yep. By the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, yeah, right. But of course, you know, it's, it's always stressed on, on the word. Of course, what kind of water is the baptism? It's a wordy water? Yeah, okay, good. Yes. <laughs> okay, so it stresses on the word. And uh, large catechism is uh, where I got that from. So if you want to read the Luther's large catechism, that'd be great. Um, okay. Yes, Donna. So it's only when we are in Christ that the image of God is restored. Right. So we'll say it is, it is. It's restored, yeah. And being restored because I think. Oh, yeah. Conforming to the image of God. Because we're not, when we're out, when we're in sin. Yeah, it's not, it's not full. So, yeah, so if you want to look on the back of the second page, just in the same section, I, I, I say, um, however, this is only experienced in faith and hope. The, rest, the image of God is experienced in faith and hope because of the reality of sin in our lives. And that's, uh, so that's a kind of a uh, little bit above halfway through. Restoring the page two on the back of the first page. Again, I didn't think about numbering. I didn't write that down last week. Um, well, hopefully I won't have such a long handout next time. So restoring the image means putting you in the right relationship with God. Do you see that little subpoint there? Justification of the sinner for Christ's sake puts you into the right relationship with God, thus making you fully human. That's what Donna just said. 
However, this is only experienced in faith and hope. Uh, reference Romans chapter 7, 14 through 25. Paul, this is where Paul talks about, yeah, I'm not, I, I want to, he knows who he is, but he can't, he can't live that way. And he, you know, he does, does what he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do what he wants to do, and so there's this battle now being waged. You know, like, for instance, when you lose the image of God, you're very, you're very okay with it. Like, a sinner is okay with not having that. But once, the, uh, once you, that image is restored, now the struggle Commences. Okay, so just, yeah, oh boy. Um, so Mary said, continue on with that part. Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That statement is a fundamental statement for every one of us. And we'll, hopefully we'll, we're going to get to that by the end. I really want, I, we have to. Um, so again, this is a confession of her personal relationship to the revelation of the gift, or you could say the relationship to the word of God or to Jesus. It's faith that makes her. Okay, so she's confessing she's in completely in God's hands. I think we went over this real quick. The explanation of the Apostles' Creed stresses this. Your, your, uh, your physical reality is only by God's working, and it's done out of pure grace. Fatherly, divine goodness and mercy. Um, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord, that I may be wholly his own. That means completely in his hands, if you want to use what I just said. Uh, to live in him, to live under him in his kingdom and serve him. That's, that's, that's again, so this is confessing or reiterating, echoing what Mary says. Behold, I am the handmaid, or the ESV the Bibles that we use in church says, I'm the servant of the Lord. So he's, she's, uh, the Apostles' Creed in that second article realizes that we live within God's kingdom to serve Christ or to serve God. Um, we'll talk about the character of what that means in a second. I believe, and then the third article, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit has called me, enlightened me. So this is this, um, revelation that Christ is, or the Holy Spirit is is coming to. So it's the arrows of that picture. Okay, now anyways, so this is important for us as we get to kind of the conversation at the end of the outline where we try to uh, practically apply all this stuff in terms of, of being a woman um, based on a couple weeks ago, your, your conversations about like, you know, stay-at-home mom, working mom, all that. Um, because without this fundamental reality, the, all those questions are done under the law. Under the law meaning um, you have something, some standard that you're trying to fulfill. Okay. So Mary's identity is understood primarily in relationship to the Lord. She is an I. That means she can say, I, you know, I'm a person. Um, when the image of God has been restored, she's, she is, she's, uh, she is who she's supposed to be. She's in that relationship now. Um, she's a servant understood in the context of the kingdom of God. So that Isaiah 42, one, behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen and whom my soul delights. So when you become a servant, a servant within God's kingdom, 
you are the one to whom all of God's pleasure and love and um, chosenness, uh, it's, it's, it's actually a sign of dignity. I uphold. So this, this would also echo Mary, Mary's confession in the Magnificat. Do you understand? So the, the lowly will be raised up, the rich, the poor, you know, the rich will be poor, the poor. You have all this kind of paradox. So that's the same within. So God's servant, rather than understood as being a slave with no identity, in God's kingdom, it's actually the one that's the, the one who has identity. It's, it's, it is who a person is to be. Uh, which we'll have to kind of talk about that as we talk, you know, if you have any conversations with the world, um, you know, people outside the church, that still doesn't sound good. Okay. All that's resided, though, in Jesus' baptism, because in Jesus' baptism, uh, God says, the Father says to his son, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Thus, when you are baptized, you carry that same, the same kind of uh, personal dignity servanthood, and then you're put into the, uh, the messianic service, I think is what the John Paul talks about. Okay, so anyways, uh, so you get in line with Jesus. Another uh, pastor chat dealio from the earth, like infant to pre-K. We have an icon of Mary and Jesus. Uh, I forgot, it's where they're cheek to cheek. So Mary and Jesus are snuggling. It's very nice. I like that. Cheek to cheek. So Jesus is whispering in her ear. That's a, a lot more intimate picture than the one up on the board here. Um, and Mary's hand is in, uh, next to her heart, but her hand is also pointing towards Jesus. So this relationship puts her in line with Christ, her heart and her and so, you know, she's, she's, she's in line, just like each one of us, right? Jesus says, follow me. We're, we want to be in line with Jesus. Go to preschool. You'll find it. Being a line leader, all that good stuff. You'll, it's very easy. to. Okay. Uh, oh, and then finally, she's of the Lord. Of the Lord, her source and relationship of life is of God. It's not within her. It's of God. It's outside of herself. Okay, so Mary is only Mary, and you are only Mary because of the relationship with God. So the Christians, and this is the top of the third page now, continuing along, the Christian's existence and being, or who we are, are eccentric and responsive. Those are not my words. Those are words from Roland Ziegler, a seminary professor, who I think got them from another guy, some German dude. He's also German, so I guess he could be a German dude. But um, Ernst Jost. Did I? Yeah, I didn't write that down. I figure you, none of you need to know that, but uh, so I didn't quote it. So eccentric, though, means the center of the Christian's existence or being, that is, uh, and of course being a Christian is the, the mode of what humans are supposed to be, is not in him but outside of him. It's not of you but of God. That's important. So the center, is not, the center of life is not in me, it's outside of me, it's in Christ. So any, chan- any, any opportunity to understand who you are, in your identity, our immediate response is to what? Look, look into ourself. 
it's a dangerous thing to do. You want to look, you want to look towards Christ. Now there is a way, of course, of looking inside yourself to find Christ, but you're actually not looking for yourself inside yourself. You're looking for Christ in you. So if you look at that, but but the the primary, see, Lutherans don't aren't real comfortable with that. That would be a secondary. You want to look outside of yourself in in God's Word. But there is um, there's another Christian tradition, mainly like the Eastern Orthodox, where they'll talk about kind of going inside of yourself. Um, but they're actually not talking about going inside of yourself to see you, but to to find Christ in your in your heart. That's uh, I feel like that's that would be secondary, because you want to find Christ outside of you. You want to engage in that. So that's why it's very important for us to find ourselves to to uh, understand our identity outside of ourselves from Christ. So we don't we don't turn in on ourselves. We want to turn out, and then at the same time. Uh, our identity is responsoric. Uh, it's res- I, I don't know why we didn't use the word responsive, but I'm quoting the guy, so I'm not going to fix his words. means that a human being is one who's addressed by God and who answers to this word of God. The proper response, though, is created by God's address in the gospel and consists in faith. To be human, therefore, has this relational aspect. That's precisely what we saw in the Annunciation, right? God speaks... And Mary can only speak. She has no word in her. This is important for us. This is like with prayer. You have no words to say unless God speaks first. So, um, you have no words to say unless God speaks to you. So, angel, the angel Gabriel has to show up. Oh, well, in order to be a Christian story. angel has to show up and speak to her. And it's only after he, he, she is spoken to that she can speak back. So you can't say anything about yourself unless God says something about you first. That is really, really important. Again, we're talking very generally. This is for everybody right now. But I, we'll get here to Mary or uh, to the woman to a woman's response soon. Holly. Uh, uh, so how does it work then in the Old Testament for the faithful Jews who were hearing? Okay, yeah, okay, so he's asking about, so the understanding of God's word in the Old Testament is still very similar, however, the idea of, of God speaking, so the word, like for the word Torah, is often translated as law, which we always understand as terms of rules, that's actually, that's actually not quite right. The word for Torah can be understood as commandments, but also in terms of like word or word of God. So, and, and the thing about the Old Testament too, there is a way of living. Exodus chapter 20 is, is kind of fundamental to this reality. Exodus chapter 20, uh, one and I think it's 1 and 2. It could be like 1 and 3 or 4 or something. Exodus 20 is where we get the Ten Commandments, by the way. Uh, I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That is God's work, number one. So based on this now relationship, God speaking, God doing, you now have 
a way of responding. Hence, hence the Ten Commandments. Well, yeah, so I, but that's paramount, is that to, to kind of a, a, a paradigm of relationship where God acts first and, and you, we, uh, Israel lives in relationship to it. Now, when that relationship gets out of whack, who does God use to speak? The prophets. And what does the prophets always do? They're calling the people back to this relationship, which is fundamentally understood in the Mount Sinai relationship. Yeah, just in case you didn't know that, is that um, when Israel comes out of the land of Egypt and is around the Mount Sinai, that is a recreation of Eden. God is on the mountain with his people, and they are living in relationship. This is like, this is it. This is a fulfillment of what God wanted, right? Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me on this mountain. It happened. This is exactly what God wants. You know, of course, it doesn't take very long, right, to uh, get screwed up. But um, it's this, well, this is great. So that, so Garden of Eden, Mount Sinai, these are two kind of penultimate events. The other event would be then the, finally the dedication of the temple. And uh, yeah, those would be like the three big times where God is comes you know comes to earth and establishes this relationship. Well, the tabernacle I include with the Mount Sinai experience. Yes, good question. Because we had other temples. That's why I asked. Well, yeah. So yes, that is the Solomon Temple. Yes, but um, yes, you think good clarifying question. Uh, yeah, because you know there's well, okay, that's another for another day. So yeah, so it, it, but of course it becomes manifest in the New Testament. So what, this is why when Jesus shows up and is like, hey, all this stuff was about me in the Old Testament, they're like, eh, I didn't see that. But Jesus is like, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is it. So he is the kind of the authority on how to interpret the Old Testament. So the simple answer is yes, exactly what like that's what it was like in the Old Testament. But it's hard to see unless you go through Jesus to see it. All right, Krista. <laughs> yeah, I just only want to say um, the the Jews uh, in in some churches in Germany they are blindfolded. You know, we have the same God, but uh, they don't realize that Jesus is the Son of God. That's right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I, if you ever have a chance to go to synagogue, I would highly recommend it because that very reason you're you're like how you know. Just one more sentence would be just really good. You know, this one kind of, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, right. And Jesus, right? So, but yeah, so yeah, it's it's interesting, Krista, just how, well, it would be more, so in the, the Gospels, when Jesus starts speaking and the Jews can't take it, what do they do? What's their response? They yell and stuff, but like bodily gesture? Yeah, they, they cover their ears. I mean, that's a dramatic image, right? They do not want to hear God's word. Okay. Okay, anyways, uh, so that breaking relationship. Ah, okay. So now Mary's response, this is important now because uh, it's a passive response, but being passive does not annihilate your identity. 
or it doesn't make your identity subservient. Using the passive is the announcement that your life and identity are gift. I am not a self-made person. I am what God says. And I talked about that Wabonzi Valley thing last, you know, the author of your story. So, the, so within the Lutheran confessions, as Lutherans, this is how we do not, I already said this, faith makes the person, let's keep moving. Um, so there, humans are consequently human, and I'm reading this quote here, and that they need justification by faith. Faith is not something in the human in addition to it, but rather it's, it is being itself. It is what makes us us. So there is this relation, relational identity or anthropology that's informed by the Bible, of course, and Lutheran confessions uh, that balks at any self-contained rationalistic these are all big words. Uh, basically, that box at the idea that you can make up your own identity and that what gives you worth is what you feel or what you decide. This is, re- this is really important for us as we kind of talk about um, what it is to be a, a mom or a woman and all right, so then now the, John Paul II says, hey, Mary is, is the one for both men and women, which, of course, flies in the face of, a, a, you know, people always say it's a man's world, right? It's a, it's a, it's a man's world insofar as it's Jesus' world, but Jesus has a, a woman in particular that he, he uh, is relating to very closely. And, of course, we as the church, the bride of Christ, we're, we're part. Of, we're, we're, it's, it's a, we live in this woman's reality. Serve means to reign. Then, the royal dignity of service. Now, this is on the pay, back of uh, page four, I think. Uh, the royal dignity of service. So, what is service in the kingdom of God? It is in the way of Christ. So, where does Christ reign as King of the world on His throne, which is the cross? Right, uh, so Jesus in the crucifixion is mocking the mockers. They put on a crown of thorns. Ha ha! You th- you say you're a king, you you know. And you know Jesus doesn't stop him. God doesn't stop him because even though they're mocking him, they're speaking truthfully. He is he's the king of the Jews. And it's written in three languages, right? So the whole world is confessing that Jesus is who he is. Um. And Jesus actually says this in Mark chapter 10, 42 through 45. I wrote, ah, I missed that. 42 through 25, it does not make any sense, so don't. It's 42 through 45. Um, Jesus calls uh, his disciples to him and says and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be with among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, this is why we have, to, we have to kind of understand this in order to articulate our identities to the world. You say this to the world, and they're like, oh, you're a doormat then. You're welcoming abuse and violence against you. Uh, right? Because you, you're a slave, right? 
being a slave, of course, is, you know, I mean, think about slavery, right? It's, it's, you have no identity. You're not, a, you're not a human being, right? I mean, these are all terrible things that the United States have done, right? Uh, they bought and sold people. They said they have no identity, no legal rights. I mean, they're, yeah, right. They're not fully human, right? This is, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're not a creature of God. Okay. Uh, I mean, they're an animal. They're not, yeah. So, uh, uh, but Jesus is, is saying the exact opposite because he's equating servanthood with the Son of Man. And this is hard to see, but it appears, so Mark, Mark is very instructive on this. It's hard to see, but as what appears to be Jesus' annihilation, his death, where he is no longer himself, right? Jesus appears to be precisely himself, the Son of God. See, in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, besides the demons, there are only two confessions of Jesus being the Son of God. One is at his baptism, and the other one is at his crucifixion. And I quoted there, Mark 15, 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this, was, this man was the Son of God. That is, I mean, so his identity, so there's a paradox to our identity. So let's look at this chart again, or this image. Mary and you have no identity in yourself. It's always outside of yourself. Jesus confesses this to the extreme when he dies on the cross. He, he is, he's considering himself to be nothing. That's Philippians chapter 2. But when he considers himself to not be nothing, he's precisely son of God. Exalted. He's exalted, exactly. That is, uh, that is, that is an extreme version, because we all like to find something in ourselves that's worthy. We're not comfortable with grace. It's very hard for to put ourselves completely in the hands of God. It's scary. Um, but that's precisely, you know, what Mary's confession is. Behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Hune asks, you know, how can this be? I mean, I'm a virgin. Nothing's going to be impossible with God. Everything's impossible. Everything's possible with God. And we see that, of course, in Jesus. Jesus fulfills who he is when he dies. So, um, so that defines grace and love. Love is, is um, uh, you know, con- not considering yourself. It's considering the other. So in the second article of the Creed, the explanation of the small catechism, so that I would live under him and serve him, serving him is precisely loving your neighbor, living in this relationship. The love, of course, is sacrificial. So the uh, this is... Uh, this is a really hard thing to kind of think about. So, so Mary is fully Mary when she's a servant of the Lord. This, this is a really nice thought. At the center of God's relationship with man is God's act of justifying man. So it's, it's that, that word being spoken. Man is as God wants him to be when he's justified and lives by faith. Thus, God is the center of man's being. So that in the heart of of Mary and you is that word, but that's God's. It's that 
And man has his being in God's word to him. So, God, Christ is bringing you into his, his heart. I mean, this in relationship to you. Seed of love. I mean, heart's metaphoric in that sense. Okay. So that is something where um, that's, that's really kind of hard to imagine. Putting ourselves completely in the hands of God and trusting that His divine power is centered on us, like creating us and redeeming us and making us fully who we are. That's, 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 uh, that's difficult to imagine. So what does this mean then? It means there's a dignity of every human being. That means each one of you has this dignity. You are who you are um, based on, on what God does. And it's, it's mainly the, the, the union or this when it, the, John Paul talks about the union with God, and that, that's, that's, this, is, this is it. This relationship of God speaking and us speaking back. Communicating, we get the word communion, right? It's all it's from the same root word. So, um, and then, so Mary is the complete expression of that. Um, again, though, that's all that all drives with to Christ. Krista, uh, I just that was what um, we a little bit against uh, uh, Pope Paul. You know that he um, he uh, really admired and loved uh, loved um, Mary more than Jesus in, in a certain way. Just, well, I don't know about that. I don't know. Did he ever say that? That's what I would say. I don't know. I mean, you might you might get that impression from him, but I don't know if he actually said that. But he even changed the the banner that he said, "I am yours." That's right. To Mary, yeah. No, I, I mean, his piety for Mary is very complicated and, and uh, inappropriate at other times. Just like our impiety towards Mary is. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, it, I'm not... One of the things that is really important for us to realize is that abuse does not mean disuse. It means right use. I mean, that's what the Reformation was, right? Refor- speaking of, you know, 500-year anniversary, there was a bunch of abuses in the church. And uh, those that were, were pagan... Reformation said, just get rid of. Those that were abused, Luther said, let's rightly use. I don't know what the prefix would be that for that. Um, not reuse, right use. I don't know. Um, and so that's really important for us. So this is important for us in this document. Is that, well, I mean, because uh, we wouldn't be able to read any Baptist literature or, you know, some other Protestant literature because... You know, we would have to say, well, they're thinking of this. I don't know if that's true. I'm just going to use the words on the page. So in the words on the page, in this document, he's not replacing Jesus with Mary. He's putting Mary in line with Jesus. And that, that's actually a very good way of understanding Mary. So, yeah, I understand that his piety was uh, not appropriate. But um, so has the last 200 years of Lutheran piety been inappropriate. So... Let's get it right. Let's try our best to get it right. Anyways, so I yeah. Anyway, I, so I, I want I want to make sure that we understand that is um, in this there's there's no Mary without Jesus. 
There's no you without Jesus. And again, we're not, we're not Roman Catholic, we're Lutherans. So that's why we understand the relationship outside of ourselves, not within ourselves. It's not a quality or a substance within us that makes us, it's outside of us. So, but with that said, though, is that that is precisely the dignity that we have, is this, this relationship, this image of God. Um, so Mary is for both men and women, but then, of course, it is precisely for, for women also. So, um, now that you're justified by God and live in right relationship, how are you to fulfill this service? And I, I kind of had four things. Mother, married, home, or work. And mother, biological or spiritual, which I said before, we'll get to that. I think uh, it's, I don't know how many weeks, I don't know how long this is going to take us, but uh, we're going to do Genesis and then we'll get into Ephesians. I can't remember the rest, the rest of it. It's coming up. <laughs> um, so, so the idea, though, being a mother is whether you're biological or spiritual, the great thing is that um, uh, it doesn't matter you know, who you are as a woman. Part of you being a woman is, is being a mother. Uh, it's, it's whether we're talking about in the church or biological and that's something that we don't talk about it at all. Same with married and celibate. So we're just going to touch on this right now. Uh, I, I, did Pastor Bukes introduce Jessica Valenti to you? Okay. Jessica Valenti um, wrote this book, Why I Have Kids, A New Mom Explores the Truth About Parenting and Happiness. And uh, this chapter, I think, is from her chapter on giving up parenthood. I can't remember. Boy, I should remember this. Um, it's a very long quote, but uh, it, this this quote is after a series of um, confessions about uh, mothers who regret being mothers. And I think I think it's it's a re, it's a reality. I mean, this is something, and it's not just for mothers. I mean, when parents become parents, it is hard. And and so whether you have your own children or you are having children within the church, learning what that means is a struggle for everybody. One, we talk about too much. The other one, we don't talk about it at all. So let's just kind of get this out because either way, your parenting is not understood in you but outside of you. So being a parent should be a, uh, from a place of freedom. So uh, this great quote. I mean, I think it's, it's, instru- it's great insofar it's very instructive. And I think everyone can resonate with it. The overwhelming sentiment, that means about being a, a parent, out, out of this kind of litany of, of, of uh, testimonies, however, was the feeling of a loss of self. The terrifying reality that their lives have been subsume, subsumed and the needs of their child. DS, which was one of the people that she had quoted earlier, wrote, I feel like I have completely lost anything that was me. And anything is actually two words in this. I never imagined having children and putting myself aside would make me feel this bad. The expectation of total motherhood is bad enough. Having to live it out every day is soul-crushing. 
Everything that made us an individual, that made us unique, no longer matters. It's our role as a mother that defines us. Nothing much has changed. That, that's uh, just a Valenti, meaning she, she has this antiquated understanding of, of the way things used to be, which I think aren't, it's actually not true. I, I think she has a uh, leave it to beaver. Like, leave it to beaver actually was like it was back in the old days. I think anybody who's grown up in those times knows that's actually not true. So it's somewhat of a straw man where she says nothing has changed. But uh, let's not get bogged down in that. The fe- feminine mystique, per- so that does it, uh, that was uh, written by Betty F- Frieden. Yeah, do you guys, some of you who might be of a more mature age might remember when that came out. The feminine mystique permits, even encourages women to ignore the question of their identity, wrote Betty Frieden. The mystique says they can answer the question, who am I, by saying Tom's wife, Mary's mother. The truth is, and how long it's been true, I'm not sure. But what is true in my generation, and it's true of girls growing up today, an American woman no longer has a private image to tell her who she is, or can be, or wants to be. This, these two paragraphs are very enlightening because it shows how kind of confusing, confused our identity is as, as a, a mother or as a woman. So number one is uh, in that first paragraph, there's where do, where, where is the, where do you find your identity according to that first paragraph? Well, in your children, right? Well, that, yeah, so hang on. So, yeah, so, or, and, and of course, when you find it in your children, you've lost what you saw in yourself. Yeah. Both ways of understanding yourself are anti the Bible. But that is just kind of a given within society. It's, it's a really a confusion of law and gospel. They have found, so the loss of yourself, right, the feeling of loss of self, is replacing what you created about yourself and putting your child there. Um, That is not what the Bible says of being a mother. And that's not exactly what Mary confessed when Jesus, when God said, you're going to be a mother. What did she say? I am a handmaid of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. Uh, she's of the Lord. Her identity is outside herself. And she has not said, my whole life is about my child. Now, of course, this is very interesting for Mary, though, because when she puts herself in line with God, she is precisely following her child. But her child is not the point, though. Her child is precisely God. So this is important for us, and this is where I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of, kind of talking out loud here, is that uh, those who don't have biological children can fulfill their motherhood in a very special way, because those who have like children of our bodies, 
we, um, we often put our children at the center of our lives. When in fact, those who have um, spiritual children, meaning women of the church, and those, those little babies, we confess this in the baptismal, I did not get ahead of myself, but we, you know, we confess this in our baptismal liturgy. You know, every, everybody is a parent of that child. That's why we always encourage everyone to answer these questions, not just, you know, the sponsors of the parents, because we're laying claim to these children. And, and the temptation is, is when they're your biological children, we aren't, we aren't willing to give them up to Christ. So that's where uh, those who are spiritual mothers can help everybody else, help, help us realize that these children are not our identities, but are Christ's. Um, so that first is very important for us because I think every mom feels that way at some time. The burden of being a mom. So, um, but if we look towards Christ, then we understand that our soul hasn't been crushed by these children because our soul is, again, so this is important for, again, I'm using Mary a lot. Well, how does the Magnificat start? My soul magnifies the Lord. So, um, it's actually, uh, being a mother is not soul-crushing, because being a mother is an echo of, of the relationship that's right up here. You see this, you have, you have this uh, getting in line now. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah. Oh, okay, and the other thing, too, is um, uh, putting myself aside would make me feel this bad. So when you put yourself aside, you've now lost yourself in that statement. But as we, as we saw, Jesus is precisely himself when he dies for others. So if you, are, if you understand yourself as something that you've done or you created, and you put that aside, of course you have nothing left. But if you understand yourself as one who's loved by God, created by God, loved by God, redeemed by God, then, then that you have freedom to be this, this person. You have freedom to be a mother, freedom to be uh, married or celibate, free to be a mother at home or in the workplace. Okay. Um, uh, the, the second uh, paragraph, though, too, is very interesting because who am I? And the response is that Betty Friedan, that's why I included it, it was Tom's wife, Mary's mother. Again, we use Mary, M- Mother Mary as our example. Who am I? I am the, I'm the servant of the Lord. Um, okay. So uh, married or celibate, uh, we, we are free to be who God is because whether we are married or we're celebrate, God is, can, God is actually um, showing us who we are and we can be fully, fully ourselves whether we're married or celibate. 
And, I, you know, just a little bit of a tangent. When we talk about someone being single, I, that's actually, I, I say it and I don't want to say it ever again. Because being sing, single means lacking something. But no one is single in the church. No one's alone. All right, we'll talk about that stuff more. I, I wanted to get to the home and work. So Jessica Valenti, in the same book, talks about work. And she actually has a, a very kind of a, somewhat of a level head on her uh, working. So she has a final quote here. When Hirschman's book, this was a book about, it's called Get to Work, was first published, like many feminists, I was quick to criticize it. I thought Get to Work's tone was harsh and judgmental. Who was she to tell women what was the right choice? what the right choice was for their family. I was tired of the articles claiming one kind of parenthood was better than another. But the truth is, while I was uncomfortable with the idea of mandating or even suggesting to women that there's one better choice, I actually believe that there is. Um, Now, in the way of the world, that's actually not that bad of a statement. Yeah, should go to work, and uh, for a variety of reasons. One was uh, uh, the one I can remember off the top of my head, which I was going to try to put in here, but it's just so long. Um, was uh, she basically, so Hirsch, this, wo- this woman, Hirschman, uh, says that it's morally wrong to not work outside the home because you are not providing your expertise and intelligence to the world. You're keeping it to yourself and to your own family. Um, yeah, which, I mean, it kind of sounds kind of funny to us, but on a certain level, she articula- articulates it in a, in, a, in a more, like a moral character. If you really cared for others, you would work outside the home. Now, of course, we have to, you know, you have to argue whether that's a, it's a valid statement or not, right? Or if there is a uh, particular order of your love, um, but uh, anyways, so yeah, so Hirschman basically says you should, w- women should should work outside the home. Now, she doesn't say, you know, get a nine-to-five job necessarily, you know. She also argues that workplaces should be more, um, uh, more, more accommodating for mothers, or parents in general, th- which I think is true. I mean, that's, that's all very, <laughs> workplaces should be parent-friendly. And I, you know, I don't think they are necessarily. So, um, anyways, so that that begin, but again, the the kind of the diabolical nature of the statement was is that there's only one way. Now, within within Christianity, there's only one way. So that that relationship is the one relationship. But the thing is, though, is that how that gets played out for each one of us is very different. So you could be a mother in the workplace loving your children just as much as the mother who is at home. The danger is, is when we start putting our identities on the line based on that. And I think that that's the danger is because all of a sudden now we're looking within ourselves her solutions to this, by the way, Jessica Valenti's is always in the way of policies or legislation. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. We should make laws to fix the problem, which, of course, doesn't really change our hearts. But um, 
Well, she says it will eventually. Given time, hearts will be changed through legislation. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, think, I think there's a lot of people who think that, right? Okay, but uh, so long story short, though, is that um, what, what is interesting, though, is if we understand our identity outside of ourselves within this relationship of Christ, we then find our place in the world from a place of freedom. Last weekend, uh, David Zoll in the men's retreat talking about rest. This is really, it was great understanding. Many of, uh, so you talk about work for men. I think it's applicable to everybody. We work seven days in order to get rest. That's how the world thinks about rest. And rest meaning kind of when you're content with your life. You're just, you're okay with being who you are and where you are and that is how I think a lot of mothers think about themselves and how a lot of women think about themselves because that's how men think about themselves too. I've got to work at something in order to get to this place of rest. That is anti-Christian. As Christians, we work from a place of rest. We've already entered into the place of rest called the gospel. And when we're in that place of rest now, we do things, we work. In freedom. And whatever happens after that does not discount, I mean, unless it's sinful, of course, but I mean, our places in life can be a a variety of places, but we're working from that place of rest. It's not just one thing. Um, And so, as a community, we, of course, want to love and support one another. So the danger is, is that when women look at others and say, my life is not like that, right? They've taken their eyes off of Christ. So a woman at home who's, who has this image of, of a woman working at you know, their job 9 to 5 and it being the best thing ever, that might not be true. Or the, the mom or the woman who works at, 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 at a 9 to 5 and says, oh, I wish I could just be at home. Anyway, things would be great. Well, yeah, everyone knows that. You know, everyone knows none of those are true, right? So if we keep our eyes focused on Christ and his leading, he frees us in our places. Now, again, we're not comfortable with freedom. We're not comfortable with grace. And we might say to God, you know, how can this be? I'm a stay-at-home mom. How can I work out there or... You know, vice versa. Nothing's impossible with God. All things are possible with God. So, but, but the thing is, though, is that getting into this place and making these decisions are, it's a very hard thing. And, of course, it only can be done based on our relationship with God and through prayer and community. Because Satan will utilize the false guilt. He will say, because, again, that's his primary lie to us, did God say that to you? No, of course, he's holding out on you. If you eat it, you'll be like God. Satan will come and say of your false guilt, um, hey, you're not supposed to be this way. You should be something else. Whether it comes out as I should be a better, better, I should be better at something or I should be, I'll be finally who I am when I'm doing this over here. It's, um, yeah, 
God releases us in order to be ourselves. Anyways, uh, we got to go. Holy smokes. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.